If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Who would you rather have rest of season? Kent Maeda or Tarek Skubal? Let's find out. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, July 25th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we've got starting pitcher questions going to check in on some rookie hitters we haven't talked about in a while, Ellie De La Cruz drama, and much more. Uh, Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already, and if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Let's jump in. Can you believe it? Wow! Wow, Scott, you are here, Mm. and we are ready. Who is your player of the night? I'm going to do Christopher. Christopher Sanchez is the specific Christopher I'm talking about. He had a great start. He had a great start against a great lineup, an Orioles lineup, a first-place Orioles lineup, it turns out. Went seven innings, struck out eight, walked nobody, had only two runs. Uh, He got 12 swinging strikes on 92 pitches, 10 of them came on the changeup, 10 of 12 swinging strikes on the changeup. And that has been his best pitch pretty clearly by every metric. Um, So I think it's notable that Christopher Sanchez turned in his best start here against the Orioles, throwing that best pitch 38% of the time. Normally it's 28% of the time. So he leaned on that best pitch more, got good results. That's what we like to see. Am I moved to pick up Christopher Sanchez based on this performance? It's true that he's had 
a string of pretty decent starts here. The, the, the thing I'm skeptical about, though, is if you look at Christopher Sanchez's minor league numbers in the Phillies organization, not particularly impressive. What stands out most is so far in the majors, he has 1.3 walks per nine. So he has had pristine control in, in order to achieve what he has. It was 5.3 walks per nine at AAA. Like a complete about face. 1.3 versus 5.3 walks per nine. I think that's reason for skepticism. But the changeup does look pretty interesting, as I pointed out. And we'll see, we'll see where Christopher Sanchez takes it from here. I would agree, Scott. There are some questions here. It was a great start for Christopher Sanchez. The first time he's completed seven innings in his career. Uh, and as you mentioned, leaning on that changeup. Does he have enough in the arsenal? That's something I worry about, too. Obviously, this changeup is a great pitch. Entering Monday, 154 batting average against a 37% whiff rate. But he throws a 92-mile-per-hour sinker. He has a what seems to be a solid slider, which has a 30% whiff rate as well. So I question, A, does he have enough in the arsenal? B, can he maintain that control, as you mentioned? 3.1 walks per nine in his career. That's way down to 1.3 walks per nine this season. Sanchez is up to 35% roster. I think some people picked him up for the two starts this week. I think in a points league, Scott, you could probably make a pretty good case because he does have that RP eligibility. And, you know, right now he is the hot hand. He's he's pitching pretty well. So mm-hmm. uh, in a points league, if you need a relief pitcher, I think that makes some sense. But there is some skepticism involved yeah. there with Christopher Sanchez. I, I would definitely rather have Seth Lugo if we're talking about RP eligible SPs. I'm sure he's more available than Sanchez, but he's still pretty available. I mean, I'm sure he's less available than Sanchez, but he's still pretty available. I think he's around 50 or 60% rostered, uh, Seth Lugo is. But, you know, I was thinking just now about Sparps. And obviously, look, Strider is head and shoulders above everyone else. And then you have Hunter Brown, who's, you know, kind of come back down to earth over the past month or so. But after that, there's not really many reliable names, right? It's You mentioned Seth Lugo. I would say he's probably the third most usable Sparp right now. But after that, it might be Christopher Sanchez, honestly. Yeah, Garrett Whitlock was coming along there, but then he got hurt, obviously. So he's out of the running. Let me just check my RP rankings real quick to make sure I'm not overlooking any other potential sparps. I opened my SP rankings. That's not going to help. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Hicks is a reverse sparp. He's an RPASP. Yeah. I have Seth Lugo number three here and then no clear number four. So Christopher Sanchez might grab that spot by default. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It wasn't a great night for uh, waiver wire pitchers. We will talk about Skubal and Kenta Maeda, but those guys are more than 80% rostered at this point. Uh, the other two names that I had written down here with Sanchez, Dean Kramer turned in his third seven inning quality start of the season. He was uh, opposing Christopher Sanchez, seven innings, one run, eight strikeouts. Uh, I lied. That was three strikeouts with eight swinging <laughs> strikes. Excuse me. I think he's a streamer in, in the you know most basic sense. He's got a mid fours ERA, a 131 whip for Dean Kramer. But, you know, he pitches for a good team. He's 76% rostered. Graham Ashcraft has now allowed two earned runs or fewer in five straight starts. He was at the Brewers five and a third innings, two runs, four walks, meh, eight strikeouts. All right. That's pretty good. He... Tied a career high with those eight strikeouts in this start. Uh, Scott, anything to see here with Dean Kramer and Graham Ashcraft? 
not going to get involved with Ashcraft, even though he's done a good job preventing runs recently. As was the case early this season, pretty bad strikeout and walk rate while he's preventing those runs. And in the end, I don't think it's going to add up to anything worthwhile. Kramer's an interesting case. He's 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 maybe the most representative pitcher of the entire pitcher marketplace this year because his starts are so two-faced. So he, he's on an eight-start stretch here. Dean Kramer is with a 414 ERA. You probably wouldn't like to have him in your lineup during that eight-start stretch in a roto league, let's say, having to deal with a 414 ERA for that eight-start stretch. But within that eight-start stretch, he has five starts in which he's allowed two earned runs or fewer. He has five starts in which he's gone six innings or more. They mostly overlap. There was one five-inning, two-run start. There was one six-inning, three-run start. But you get the idea. Six of his eight starts were pretty good. And then two were terrible. So he has a 4.14 ERA during that eight-start stretch. Uh, So it's easier to to embrace a pitcher like that in a head-to-head points league specifically where the peaks are high enough that you don't, the valleys aren't enough to scare you away because the peaks are frequent enough to make it worthwhile, even though the um, the the end result, as I said, is a 414 ERA over that eight start stretch. Yeah, I think in a categories league, it's you know there there's lots of risk to uh, the ratios there, but you know as you mentioned in a points league with uh, Dean Kramer, could throw him out there in the right matchups. Uh, oh my goodness gracious for me, crazy game between the Rangers and the Astros. Just going to talk about the entire game back and forth much like that uh diamondbacks and braves game recently too so the rangers go up two zip in the top of the first the astros answer back with four runs in the bottom of the first rangers then take a 5-4 lead in the second inning uh astros would tie the game 6-6 in the fifth uh rangers go up 9-6 in the seventh inning the astros then hit a three-run homer in the bottom of the seventh so we've we're tied 9-9 going uh into the ninth inning astros would eventually walk it off with a single in the ninth inning, so they win this game 10-9. to We'll start off on the Rangers side of things. Josh Young went 2-for-5 with his 20th home run. Travis Jankowski, 2-for-5 with a run and RBI. Uh, he is batting 319 on the season, only one homer, but has 15 steals and an 8-12 OPS. Scott, we have not mentioned Travis Jankowski's name at all, but he is hitting well over 300. Does he matter in anything other than AL-only leagues? I keep waiting for him to just disappear because he's been around for so long and never had a consistent role, anything close to consistent. And and in whatever extended looks he's gotten in the past, hasn't done much with them. But he he just seems to keep sticking around, and now he's playing uh, most days. It looks like he does typically sit against lefties, so that that limits his appeal. But you know, if he's batting high in the lineup, high in the best lineup in baseball against righties while stealing plenty of bases, as has been the case, I'm not going to say he's worthless. He might be kind of Jake McCarthy like. I'm still pretty skeptical at last, but I've been thinking that for two, since what, since May? And it, it, it keeps going. Yeah, I don't know. He might have some value. Yeah, so maybe a deeper mixed roto league, five outfielders, you need speed, something like that. It's just, it just has to be the right scenario to go out and add 
a name like Travis Jankowski. For the Astros, Alex Bregman went three for five with a double and two runs scored. The player I really wanted to focus on here, Scott, is Chaz McCormick, who went two for three with a walk and his 13th home run. He had a career-high six RBI in this game. He is now batting 282 with 13 home runs, 11 steals, 10% walk rate, 26% strikeout rate. Plate discipline is solid. Last week, Chris and I spoke about Chaz McCormick, and we just weren't really buying into it. The YouTube chat kept asking us, talk about Chaz McCormick, and maybe they're onto something, Scott, because uh, this guy just, you know, he's hot right now, and he, he just keeps hitting for the Astros. You know, the quality of contact is a little bit suspect here with uh, Chaz McCormick. He's up to 55% rostered. Uh, your thoughts, are you are you buying in on this hot stretch? Well, yeah, and the expected stats don't look great, so... I'm more with you and Chris than not, but he has been so hot lately and, and not even really just lately more last 39 games. Chaz McCormick is batting 323 with 11 home runs, seven steals and OPS over a thousand. That's in nearly 40 games. Uh, and it's, it's got him in the lineup against lefties as well as righties. In fact, his numbers are amazing against lefties. He's he's doing a better he's doing better against them than righties. He, so he is a right-handed bat. Oh freaking a! Is he really? <laughs> oh, Rose left. I thought I thought he was left. Okay, well he's that one would explain of, it. He's one of those weird hits right but throws left guys. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry about that. I'm an idiot. Yeah, Chaz McCormick. Then so he's he's been playing every day. The way he's hit recently. Leads me to believe that's going to continue. And during that 39-game stretch, his average exit velocity is 90 miles per hour. I'd be interested in knowing, because it's like 88 for the season, 90 during that 39-game stretch. I'd be interested in knowing what the expected stats look like just for that stretch that he's been so productive, if, if they're significantly better than the full season expected stats. But I don't have that information, so <laughs> I'm left to wonder. But hey, look, power, speed, and a good lineup, I don't have anything against using Chaz McCormick as a hot hand play in a five outfielder league. I wasn't able to win him in the Memorial Mag League, which is a 12-team five outfielder league. Uh, my $0 bid wasn't enough to get him last night. Actually, I may have bid $1 and somebody outbid me. So, like, people are starting to pay attention. I am skeptical it will continue, but when you have five outfielder spots to fill, you know, beggars can't be choosers. McCormick's been doing a lot lately. Four of the most added outfielders right now on CBS. Scott Chaz McCormick is at the top of the list. He's up to 55% rostered. The other three names, Alex Kirilov, who we spoke a lot about recently, Sal Freelich, who hit his first career home run on Monday, and Tyler O'Neill, who recently returned for the Cardinals. He started four straight before um, sitting on Monday. He did come in. He had a pinch hit three-run double. But he's uh, down to 62% rostered. So four names there. Would you put McCormick at the top of that list? McCormick versus... Kirilov, Freelich, Tyler O'Neill. I would put McCormick at best third on that list. Ooh. I would put him behind Freelich and Kirilov in terms of my priorities. Uh, and yeah, I guess I'd put McCormick ahead of O'Neill. But I, I believe O'Neill has more upside if we had assurances about his playing time and if he hadn't been so bad since the start of last year. And maybe we will get some assurances for Tyler O'Neill around the trade deadline. I know his name is one that's come up, uh, come up and he's had kind of a rocky relationship here with their manager, Oliver Marmol. So 
maybe uh, either O'Neill could get moved or another outfielder on their team that could open up playing time for him. So uh, we'll see after the trade deadline what that will do for Tyler O'Neill. Uh, I mentioned at the top, Scott, some Ellie De La Cruz drama. Did you follow this, uh, his first couple of at-bats here in this game on Monday? I did not. So Ellie De La Cruz, his first at-bat, he hits a fly ball 405 feet to center field. Joey Weimer scales the wall, robs Ellie De La Cruz of a home run, of a leadoff homer at the time. Second at-bat, the Brewers video board, They sometimes they have trivia and, you know, they're trying to be funny. They're trying to troll Ellie De La Cruz. They write on his trivia, almost hit a home run in the first inning, but didn't. And then what does he do? He hits a home run in, in that at bat. Not only did it hit a home run, he destroyed that baseball. 113.7 exit velocity, 456 feet, back-to-back games with a home run for Ellie De La Cruz. I just thought it was interesting tracking the didn't hit a home run, then came back, they tried to troll him, and then he just absolutely destroyed the ball. Yep. Guess he got the last laugh there. Well, the Reds wound up losing the game, so maybe not, but at least within the oh, game at that point. It's an important division battle, too. It really is, yeah. I, I think I think the Brewers are my least favorite division leader, like in terms of how good I think they are. What is so the- I'd like to see the Reds surpass them. Sorry to all the Brewers fans out there. Oh. I am now public enemy number one. But you know but, what? You know, that's I, I can't I can't help but feel things. All right. Gotta express my feelings from time to time. My wallet is feeling things too, Scott, because as soon as Ellie De La Cruz got called up, I bet on the Reds to win the division. So uh yeah, I would love for that to happen. So we are a Reds podcast here, as many people have turned into. Obviously, look, it's a fun time, it's a fun team, all these young guys coming up and crushing baseball so we'll see i think it's going to go down to the end of the season you know the brewers have picked it up they're playing good ball uh reds you know a little bit more rocky recently but we'll see what happens with them starting pitcher questions got i think uh two of the bigger performances of the day kent maeda and Tarek school this is the first question i have who would you rather have more rest of season and let's just quickly remind people what they did Tarek school finally completed five innings for the first time this season Five shutout with two hits allowed, zero walks, nine strikeouts up against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Through four starts, he's got a 371 ERA, a .88 whip, over a strikeout per inning, tons of ground balls. Everything looks great right now for Scooble. He's up to 83% rostered. Just how deep is he going to go into his starts? I think that's probably the biggest question. Kenta Maeda now has eight-plus strikeouts in four of six starts since returning from the IL. Uh, he went six and a third innings, one run allowed, eight strikeouts with 15 swinging strikes. And in those six starts since returning, a 2.48 ERA, 109 whip, 44 strikeouts over 32 and two-thirds innings. Scott, question number one. Who would you rather have, Maeda or Scooble? I like them both a lot. If it was up to me, I would not have either be as available as he currently is in CBS Sports Leagues. Scoobles around 80%, so you know he's getting up there. But it's still too available, given how much of an impact I think he could have down the stretch. I'm going with Scooble here, and it, it's, it's, it's for one reason, really, and it's just that Kenta Maeda, given his age, given his injury history... I have less confidence in him holding up. I understand Scooble's coming off elbow surgery. He's still getting stretched out, so it's not like he's a model of health either. But 
I have I have more faith in him holding together than Maeda. But look, first of all, Scooble, big sigh of relief with this start. You mentioned he has a 371 ERA since returning. All the damage came in his previous starts. So three of the four have been absolute gems. And then he had a terrible one. And his velocity, which you know was a big reason we all got excited about him, the jump of velocity during on his rehab assignment, it had been declining little by little. Got back up a little here in this fourth start. Uh, and and obviously turned in an amazing result again. So I think I think I think that alleviated alleviated relieved or alleviated many of my concerns for Scooble. And uh, I still have high hopes for him going forward. And then Kenta Maeda, I made reference to this number prior to the start. So I'll give you the update now that the start is over. If you remove the 10-run disaster that happened for Maeda right before he went on the IL with the triceps injury clearly was impacted in that start. I think it's totally fair to eliminate it. If you remove that terrible start for Maeda, in his other nine, he has a 296 ERA, a 105 whip, 11K per nine. Those are numbers very similar to the ones that made him the AL Cy Young runner-up in 2020. And, you know, we all know the following year he wasn't good, but he was dealing with a bad elbow that year. So, you know, he, he, he looks like as healthy as we've seen him since that 2020 season and the numbers, it's showing up in the numbers. Yeah, I think it's really, really close between these two. I mean, Scooble, I think you can argue there's more upside, there's more excitement. He's 26 years old versus Kent Maeda, who's 35 years old, nearly, you know, 10 years older than Tarek Scooble. Uh, and I think Scooble might be better on a per-inning basis, but I think Maeda is more likely to deliver six innings, quality starts, and he pitches for the better team. So, man, it is close, but I think I would rather have Maeda over Tarek Skubal moving forward. I don't know how many people actually have that question to answer. Uh, they're both up over 80% rostered on CBS, but I did just check on Yahoo, and Skubal is 48% rostered there. Kenta Maeda, 55%. So, I know there's a lot of streaming and daily lineup leagues, but kind of feels like you should just pick those guys up and hold on to them, and they should just be on your teams uh, in that format. Scott, I know you update your rankings here, usually on Tuesdays. Uh, where do you foresee Maeda and Scooble climbing up to in the SP rankings? Are we you know, top 60? Are we you know, verging on top 50 starting pitchers the rest of the season? Well, first of all, I've been doing it more like Wednesdays lately. Okay. So. <laughs> just don't want to give anybody the wrong impression. Okay, so I already have Scooble in my top 55, actually. Nice. Uh, Maeda's down at 70th currently, but I can I could move him up quite a bit. Uh, there's going to have to be a fair amount of rearranging here, as there is every week in this big glob of starting pitchers that are tough to distinguish between. But they might they might both be verging on top 50. You know, you got Kyle Bradish in that same range. You got Andrew Abbott. Grayson Rodriguez probably needs to move up some. So it's it's always a bit of a what have you done for me lately kind of game. But yeah, I mean they're 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 they both deserve to be rostered everywhere, I would say. Yep. Again, that is Turk Skubal and Kenta Maeda. Let's take our first break. And when we return, I've got two more starting pitcher questions. John Gray and you Darvish. What are we doing with those two names? We'll find out right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, and a quick reminder to download and follow our five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. You can find it wherever you listen to this podcast, and we usually talk about the biggest performances of the night, the biggest news, rankings, waiver wire ads, drops, all that fun stuff. So in addition to this podcast, five-minute podcast, Fantasy Baseball Today in Five. If you're watching us live on YouTube, scan that QR code that will take you right to the FBT and Five podcast feed. John Gray. He has been struggling big time ever since developing a blister back in June. He did leave his previous start after getting hit on the shin with a comebacker. So just not sure how completely healthy John Gray is at this point. But Scott, we have a seven start stretch now where John Gray has a 649 ERA and a 179 whip. The dropometer. Where is John Gray on that dropometer? Uh, 7.5. I'd say he's three quarters of the way up. Not as droppable as some of the names we talked about yesterday, like Braxton Garrett and Ranger Suarez. But I drop, I drop John Gray for either of Tarek Skubal or Kinta Maeda or Grayson Rodriguez for that matter. The one positive thing I'll say about him is after a five-start stretch where he had just single-digit swinging strikes, he has double-digit swinging strikes in his last two. He had. 14 on just 82 pitches in this one. Most coming on the slider, which he threw 63% of the time. That's more than twice as much as usual. So he's kind of he's kind of feeling his way through things right now as John Gray changing things up to try and get a better result. And you know, given how bad he was, I, I think that's I think that's for the best. But even while he's doing that, obviously hasn't gotten much better results apart from the swinging strikes. So it's 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 a very thin silver lining on that dark storm cloud. <laughs> Would you drop John Gray for Christopher Sanchez, who we spoke about earlier? Nope. Can't see myself doing that. Would you drop him for two streamy types in Kyle Hendricks or Michael Lorenzen? I don't think I'd do that either, unless, unless my lineup depended on it. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think... One of the adjustments I'll make to the starting pitcher ranks is that John Gray is going to move down below those names we were just talking about. So, you know, maybe he's more like a top 60, top 70 starting pitcher. Uh, obviously, those other two names are moving on up ahead of John Gray. What is wrong with you, Darvish? Darvish made two strong starts coming out of the break, and you think, okay, this is it. Maybe he's finally turning it on. 
We'll get some consistency out of him in the second half. And then he gets rocked by the Pirates here on Monday. Four and a third innings, seven runs allowed, four homers allowed. That ties a career high for you, Darvish, and now stands at a 4.8 ERA on the season, a 131 whip. And, you know, Scott, just looking up and down all the metrics we normally do, it's just little things that have all kind of added up together and gotten worse from last year. A 311 BABIP compared to 250 last season, 3.2 walks per nine compared to 1.7 last year. The strand rate is down below his career mark. It's down compared to last year. So you just add all, all those things up, and and this is how we get to this point with you, Darvish. Uh, what is wrong, and would you be looking to buy low heading into people's trade deadlines? Uh, I wouldn't be looking to buy low. I think it's just way too volatile. You Darvish is out of the circle of trust right now. A couple times a year, I write about this circle of trust at starting pitcher. I'm not as rigid as Robert De Niro's character in Meet the Parents. He says, you know, when once you're out, you're out. There's no getting back in. I'm not like that. I think you're in and out all the time. But you Darvish is out. And I don't even like... So as you pointed out, he was coming off two, two great starts, seemed to be back on track, and then he gets the Pirates. So if you're if you're just playing the matchups with him, this is the time you start, you Darvish, and it goes about as disastrously as you could, giving up four home runs to that lineup. So I I don't know. Um, he's certainly not alone with regard to being volatile this year, with regard to having these blow up starts when you least expect it. It's it's as as I mentioned with Dean Kramer, it's kind of the the theme at starting pitcher this year, but his overall ERA is 480. It's not like he's that big of a strikeout pitcher anymore. Wasn't last year either. So I, I'm treating you Darvish as pretty fringy at this point. I can't imagine dropping him. I'm not saying that, but he's just, I don't know what to expect. I mean, part of the frustration is remember two years ago, he had that horrendous second half where he had like a 650 ERA and then he bounced back with the 310 ERA last year. So he's just, he's, he's, he's been, he's defined by volatility already. And then you add all the weirdness of this season and I just have no idea what to expect from Darvish anymore. Yeah. It's kind of a microcosm of his entire career, right? Just on a year to year basis. It's which pitcher are we going to get when it comes to you Darvish? The one thing I'll point out is uh, if you are someone who likes to trust the process, then the ERA estimators, they still like you, Darvish. 377 FIP, 376 XFIP, and a 357 XERA entering the start. So if you're buy, buying those numbers, then you should be looking to buy low. Keyword low. Buy low on you, Darvish, moving forward. Uh, let's move over to some hitters here, Scotty. And it was a, it's been a big July for the Detroit Tigers. Uh, maybe not collectively as a team, but it has been pretty good for their hitters. Riley Green went three for four with a double and two runs scored, now batting 309 with a 937 OPS overall this year, but in 13 games since returning, all in July. Riley Green is batting 370 with two home runs, up to 78% rostered. Spencer Torkelson, a name we talk about a lot, went two for four with an RBI, also in the month of July, hitting 270 with four home runs, 14 RBI, and an 843 OPS. And Kerry Carpenter, the last one, two for four with two RBI and... Uh, so far in July, batting 281, four homers, 16 RBI, and an 885 OPS. You know, I think Kerry Carpenter, we can 
leave him for five outfielder leagues for now. He doesn't play against left-handed pitching. But Scott Riley Green and, and Torkelson, these are you know former big name prospects. They're kind of putting it all together at the right time here, um, putting mm-hmm. it together. You know, both these guys kind of playing well at the same time. Uh, do you think they need to be universally rostered at this point? I mean, they're they're both still below eighty percent. What do you think about uh, Riley Green and Torkelson? Uh, my knee-jerk reaction is to say yes because I am hopeful that they're figuring it out. You know, they 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 both have high quality contact in addition to putting up numbers recently. Uh, I guess I hesitate because, I, like, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm thinking in terms of points leagues, right? 78% is still pretty well rostered. Presumably all Roto leagues are covered with that. It's just, it's probably just the three outfielder points leagues where Riley Green might still be available. And, you know, looking at the last three weeks, 15 last week, four and a half the week before, 11 the week before that. Uh, that's, you know, this is this is kind of a weird uh, league page I'm looking at, actually, where it wasn't it wasn't the standard scoring periods. But the point is, he hasn't scored a lot of points for hitting 370 since returning, and he's in a bad lineup, and he doesn't have great plate discipline, which doesn't help. So he, in those shallower points leagues, Riley Green may be pretty fringy still, and and so that would be the excuse not for him for him not to be universally rostered. But like I don't want to, I don't want to fixate on the negative when overall I think the takeaway for what he's doing here is positive. Yep. And oddly enough, uh, entering Monday, both Riley Green and Torkelson were averaging two point six fantasy points per game on the season. Which, again, it's it's kind of fringy. It doesn't really blow you away. But the overall numbers are are starting to climb here for both those guys. And yeah, maybe they're they're names that I guess the numbers look better than the actual production. If that makes sense, it's like maybe they hit yeah. for a solid batting average and you know some modest power, but the lineup is going to hold them back in terms of counting stats. So I guess yeah, that's... I mean, I've really felt lineup context this year in a way I haven't normally between everybody in the Rangers lineup having ridiculous run in RBI totals and then what's going on with these two on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's counted for a lot. I mean, I guess it always has... Less so with like star caliber players, like you think of years past when Jose Ramirez had no lineup around him and still produced like a first round bat. But obviously Torkelson and 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 Riley Green aren't near that level, so they still depend a lot on their supporting cast to to help them deliver an optimal fantasy outcome. All right, some other waiver wire hitters, four corner infielders that I wrote down here: Wilmer Flores, nice guy. You gave him out as a sleeper hitter. So far, so good. He hit his 13th home run here on Monday. Now has five home runs in 10 second-half games there for Wilmer Flores. Nolan Jones went two for four with his ninth home run, uh, and it came off of a lefty. I thought that was encouraging for Nolan Jones. Up to a 35% strikeout rate, 49% ground ball rate as well. So he hits the ball hard. There are some troubling signs there with Nolan Jones, and it's really, you know, he goes through these stretches, a, a tale of three seasons right now. You could break it down, you know, first 24 games, next 13, and then his last eight games. I, you know, I have the numbers here, and it's he's kind of all over the place right now. Um, Jamer Candelario went two for four with his 16th home run. And Carlos Santana, three for four with a walk and a double dong for him. Uh, Scott, who would stand out at the top of this list? Wilmer Flores, Nolan Jones, Candelario, and Carlos Santana. I think the most usable is... Jamer Candelario. Now, I don't know that that's going to last. 
I've been skeptical of his production, but his production is what it is here almost August. So I would have to put him at the top of the list. Unfortunately, Nolan Jones, I think, needs to be categorized more with like a Kerry Carpenter than not because his playing time has been very inconsistent recently as well. It's not a strict lefty-righty thing with him, but the the Rockies have a lot of outfielders they like to mix in, Brenton Doyle and Randall Gritchick. And it's they just haven't given that much priority to Jones here lately, uh, which hasn't helped in addition to the sporadic production. So um, I, I don't know. I might prefer Kerry Carpenter at this point, actually. Kerry Carpenter over a Nolan Jones. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other name I have here is a waiver wire hitter, Caber Ruiz. He went two for four with a run and RBI. And over his last 17 games, he's batting 323 with three homers. Frankly, the power production has actually kind of surprised me this year for Caber Ruiz. He is 51% rostered. I don't know that he is ever going to be a standout at the position, Scott. I'm looking looking at the position right now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at the back end of the top 12. It's names like Tyler Stevenson and MJ Melendez, Elias Diaz. Mm-hmm. Would you move Caber Ruiz ahead of those names at this point? I have him behind Tyler Stevenson, but ahead of the other two. I believe he's my number 13 catcher right now. Yep, that is correct. That's exactly what I'm looking at. So uh, look at you, Scott. You know your rankings. Yeah, I don't know whether Chaz McCormick <laughs> bats left or right-handed, but I know my rankings. That you do. Let's get into the news and notes. Astros manager Dusty Baker said it is possible Jose Altuve can be activated without going out on a rehab assignment. Altuve has been out since early July with a left oblique strain. Yordan Alvarez did not return on Monday, but the hope is for him to be activated on either Tuesday or Wednesday. Adolis Garcia has missed two straight after getting hit by a pitch on his right hand on Saturday. He is currently day-to-day and should be able to avoid the IL. Brandon Woodruff will make his second rehab start at high A on Thursday before likely moving up to AAA. And it sounds like he could rejoin the Brewers in early August. So if you held on to uh, Woodruff all year, hopefully he could stay healthy for the rest of the season. And uh, that would be a, a pretty big get into our lineups. Shane Bieber was transferred to the 60-day IL, which means he cannot return until September 10th at the earliest. He is on the IL with right elbow inflammation. Clayton Kershaw is expected to throw a bullpen session on Tuesday. He'll likely be reevaluated after that to determine the next step in his rehab. Stalling Marte, who is on the IL with migraines, will likely require just the minimum time. Uh, There's also a note that he's expecting a child at the end of the month. So uh, the, the the report was basically that he could be back in early August. That is Starling Marte. Byron Buxton was placed on the paternity list and Trevor Larnick was recalled by the Twins. J.D. Martinez was out of the starting lineup on Monday with hamstring tightness, but expects to return on Tuesday. C.J. Crone has missed three straight with lower back tightness, but is, quote, getting closer to a return to the lineup. Uh, name to watch around the trade deadline. There's been some chatter there about CJ Crone. Chris Bryant has missed two straight after getting hit by a pitch on his right index finger this past weekend. Ryan Helsley was transferred to the 60-day IL, which means he'll be out until at least August 12th. So Jordan Hicks should remain the Cardinals closer until then, assuming he doesn't get traded as well. The Braves, Scott, your Braves making big moves. They acquired Pierce Johnson from the Rockies and Taylor Hearn 
Uh, Taylor Hearns. Is it Hearns or Hearn? I think it's Hearns, right? Taylor Hearns. I don't remember. It's Hearn. No oh, S. Okay. Taylor Hearn. I wrote it correctly. From the Rangers on Monday and uh, just you know some back-end pieces there looking to fortify the Braves' bullpen. The latest trade rumors, John Morosi of MLB Network reports that the Orioles and D-backs are among teams that have inquired about Shohei Otani. I am sure they will not be the only teams, uh, you know, asking around on Otani. I've heard, you know, Tampa Bay kind of thrown out there. We know the Dodgers are going to have major interest this offseason. Um, and he is very clearly <laughs> the biggest name to watch at the trade deadline. Mark Feinsand of MLB.com reports that the Reds have informed teams they are willing to trade Jonathan India, which I find pretty interesting. Obviously, he's a young, controllable player. You know, a couple of years ago, he was the NL Rookie of the Year, but they have all these names now. Encarnacion Tran, Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain. They could all kind of slide one of those names over, and uh, they pretty much have their infield of the future. Scott, let me ask you this. Uh, if you have Jonathan India in a... Honestly, either format, redraft or dynasty, would you look to try and trade him now because there's a chance he won't have Great American Ballpark as his home park? I would consider it, sure. I mean, he's he's having a great year, better year in fantasy, I would say, than in real life. So it's not a bad, uh, just, just like sell high situation anyway. Uh, let me look up his career splits here because I don't know them offhand but he is a guy who isn't thought to have like a lot of natural like raw power um, produces good home run totals for not having that home away home run count is basically dead even 22 at home 23 on the road much better batting average at home uh, because of you know same difference in BABIP much better BABIP at home as well I don't know that that's necessarily a good Babbitt park, given how small it is. But I honestly don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it might not be as big of a deal as we're thinking it is. Mm. But I, unless he goes to Colorado, which is not going to happen, <laughs> I, I don't think there would be a better place for him to hit than he's currently playing. So it's something to look into. Like, you don't want to be... You don't want to like panic trade Jonathan India, but you know if you have a good alternative at second base, think maybe you could get a nice return for him. It's something to consider, sure. You know, looking at the splits now, they're not as drastic as they thought. Uh, you you pointed out the batting average and the home runs, seven ninety five OPS uh, career at home for Jonathan India, seven forty nine on the road. So that's that's about as dead even as it gets, even with that great home park in a uh, Great American Ballpark. The last one, last rumor we have written down here, John Heyman mentioned that teams have been asking the Pirates on both uh, David Bednar and Mitch Keller. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, Bednar would be a huge addition for any team looking to gain a closer. And if they did that, I guess it would be, I don't know, one of Colin Holderman or Dari Moretta, uh, you know, filling in for the Pirates closer role. But that would be a pretty bad team with uh, without either of those names. So... Not sure that it would matter much anyway. Let's take our final break, and when we return, Scott, I've got a bunch of rookie hitters we haven't talked about in quite a while. What do we do with those names? Let's find out right after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back, and let's check in on some rookie hitters we haven't talked about in a while. Luis Matos, what's going on there? He went one for three on Monday. He is batting 259 with one homer and three steals. The plate discipline looks great. 7% walk, 10% strikeout. Uh, does not swing and miss very much at all. Uh, but the power numbers, the quality of contact, uh, not so great there, Scotty. Uh, 36% rostered on Luis Matos. Sounds about right, right? <laughs> yeah. No, he, he hasn't. He hasn't impacted the ball well at all. Weak contact. I made a big deal of him when he got called up, and I feel stupid about it because it's just not. It's not impactful contact. A lot of it, but not impactful. Yeah, that that is true. Twenty uh, fourth percentile max EV on Luis Matos, and you know, frankly, I thought he would be faster than he is. Two sixty sixth percentile sprint speed. Uh, the XBA is 290 for Luis Matos, so he's a name Start, I think you can hold on to. Starting two of every three games, too. So yeah, it's that, not like he's even playing every day. Yeah, that that doesn't help. Uh, you know, Giants get a giant, even when they have uh, a prospect getting called up here. So 36 percent roster. That sounds about right. Oscar Colas, 13 games since returning to the White Sox, he is batting 233 with zero home runs, one steal, two caught stealing. Zero walks and a 36% strikeout rate. Uh, he did start against their most recent lefty that they faced, but hasn't looked pretty, uh, hasn't looked great here either. Scott, 21% roster for Coloss. I that probably sounds about right as well. Yep, not terribly enthused about him either. Let's get into the Baltimore Orioles. We haven't talked about these two in a while. Colton Kowser went one for three with a double and an RBI on Monday. He is batting 128 with zero homers, zero steals, and a 440 OPS. The plate discipline has been totally fine for a rookie, which is pretty impressive. 14% walk rate, 18% strikeout rate. The problem, not hitting the ball very hard, and tons of ground balls. 55% ground ball rate. Uh, Scott, Colton Kowser is still 44% rostered. If you picked him up in a five outfielder league, do you start to consider dropping him now? It's not unthinkable. I have higher hopes for him than I do either Matos or Colas. Hasn't been nearly as long. He's a higher caliber prospect to begin with. Such a small sample. It's hard to 
draw any conclusions from the data, really. I think the main thing that's holding me back on Kowser is just the Orioles are not giving him full run. They're sitting him against lefties, and it's going to be hard for him to really find his footing in the majors if if that continues. You know, we feared that would happen for Gunnar Henderson when he got called up last year because his minor league numbers against lefties were bad, and it didn't. Um, but they're not they're not giving Kowser the same leash may you know their place in the standings may have something to do with it first place trying to trying to fend off the rays after overtaking them but it's not helping Kowser's fantasy value right now that's for sure worth pointing out that Aaron Hicks did leave on Monday with an injury so perhaps they just won't have a choice and they'll just have to play Colton Kowser every day moving forward but uh, we shall see his teammate Jordan Westberg went one for three with his first career home run on Monday and has only started two of their past five games. Once was against a lefty. The other was against a righty. And he's actually, you know, been fine. 266 batting average, one homer, one steal, a 757 OPS here for Jordan Westberg. He's got the uh, multi-position eligibility on CBS. He's still 45% rostered. Scott, are you more inclined to hold on to Westberg because of all the names we've mentioned so far, he's the one performing best. Playing time hasn't been all that consistent for him either. No. So, I mean, I prefer him to... I, I think there's more to hold out hope for there than with Luis Matos or Oscar Colas, but I, I'm not terribly committed to Westberg at this point either. I'd rank him behind Kowser of this group. Okay. Uh, we haven't talked about Anthony Volpe in a while, Scott, and on the season, he is giving you power and speed. 13 home runs, 17 steals, but that comes with a 209 batting average, a 29% strikeout rate, and looked like he was coming around in June. He actually had a pretty strong month, and now here in July, he's back below 200, 197 batting average, uh, does have three home runs, but... You know, it's it's been a very up-and-down rookie season here, Scott, for Anthony Volpe. He is still 80% rostered. Is it time, you know, for us to start dropping Anthony Volpe? I mean, he shouldn't be 80% rostered. Yeah. I think at this point, you gotta you got to swap him out for C.J. Abrams, at least. If you haven't missed the boat on Ha-Sung Kim yet, who homered twice here on Monday, Man. yeah, his numbers are nutty over the last, uh, I think it's like mid-June. Then you got to make that switch too. Uh, he, I, Kim, at this point is more rostered than Volpe, but that doesn't mean he's rostered in every league. Like that doesn't mean every league where Volpe is rostered, Kim isn't necessarily. Obviously, uh, so I'd certainly make that switch. Volpe just kind of seems like a desperation play at shortstop at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we have Spencer Steer and. Obviously, we're not dropping Spencer Steer. It's been a magical rookie season for him. He's 98% rostered. He has first, third, and outfield eligibility. But he has slowed down here in July, batting 250 with just one home run, a 614 OPS. And someone pointed out to me, he is much better against left-handed pitching so far this year, 958 OPS compared to 769 against righty. So with all the names in Cincinnati, Scott, I do kind of worry that Maybe Steer is the name that kind of gets squeezed out a little bit more often, and you know they play him against left-handed pitching. I hope I'm wrong, but do you have any concerns about that happening moving forward? 
Well, let's see here. So he was in the lineup again today. So it, yeah, that hasn't happened yet since uh, since Encarnacion Strand got the call. Steer has only been out of the lineup one time. You do wonder if that could change. They've they've been open to playing him in left field, but outfield is crowded for them too with the emergence of Will Benson. So it's not like it's not like that frees things up that much. Mm-hmm. Sticking Spencer Steer out there. So, yeah, I mean, if this continues much longer and everyone else is hitting well, I, it's it's for, it's for feasible that that could happen, that Steer could be the odd man out when, when the going gets tough and the tough get going. <laughs> and I, but I, go let's ahead. not put the car before the horse. Uh, just... I pointed out he, Steer has kind of struggled here in July. He does have multiple hits in three of his last four games, so looks like uh, maybe he's coming out of it recently. Again, that is Spencer Steer. Scott, how many of these names would you drop for Sal Freelich, who went one for three with a walk and his first career home run on Monday? Uh, not like he crushed it or anything. We know the deal. You know, Seems like it's going to be modest power here for Sal Freelich. 98.3 exit velocity, 384 feet. Was a home run in, in 30 out of 30 ballparks. I, I will point that out. Uh, but his first three games, he's got five hits. He's got a homer, three runs, three RBI. He's now hit cleanup in back-to-back games. Uh, would you be willing to drop everybody not named Spencer Steer to pick up South Relic? Uh, let me just revisit here. Yeah, I would. The, the closest call is with Kowser, who I do think has more upside, but given... Given the the playing time disparity between the two of them, I would swap Kowser out for Freelick, sure. I think Tuesday is a big day too, Scott, because the Brewers are in line to face Andrew Abbott, who's a left-handed pitcher. And uh, I am very interested to see if Sal Freelick is going to be in the lineup because they haven't faced a lefty yet. So uh, I think that's going to be very telling for his playing time moving forward. But the way that he's hit so far, he made some awesome catches over the weekend too. I, I would guess he's going to be in the lineup, but we shall see. On Tuesday. Uh, lastly, on this group, Scott, rookie hitters, lots of it, a lot of it is very small sample size. Are you actually worried about any of these names that I mentioned from a dynasty perspective? Ooh, dynasty. <laughs> so you obviously give a lot more leeway in dynasty. Development is sometimes slow. And particularly in recent years, we've seen players struggle at first before catching on later. Uh, Josh Young. It's a good example of that. I mean, even Tristan Casas to an extent. So, um, Kowser, not at all worried. Westberg, not at all worried. Volpe, not really worried. Steer, not worried, of course. I think the top two on this list, Matos and Kolas, they're the ones who worry me. I don't, I mean, Matos is so young, 21, and what was he hitting? At AAA before he got called up, like 360. You know, part of his issue may just be that he was hitting, oh, he was hitting almost 400 at AAA, 350 overall between double and AAA. Part of Luis Matos' issue is that he may have just been moved faster than, than was advisable. And so, you know, I don't want to totally dump him, but the, the exit velocities are so bad. I just wonder. I just wonder how high the ceiling actually is. Is he going to be a, a Stephen Kwan without the steals? Because I'm not sure I'm all that interested in that. Yep. Um, so I'm, 
I wouldn't put a lot of value on him in Dynasty, Luis Matos. And Colos, Colos, I believe, has more power. That's supposed to be his best tool, in fact. And after a slow... It was slow going when he returned to the minors earlier this year and, and caught fire late. Looked more like the Oscar Colas we saw in the minors last year, but since coming back, obviously hasn't done anything. He's already 24. He's going to be 25 before the season is over, so he's an older guy, uh, at, at least among the caliber of player we're talking about here. Uh, he's he's at a point where he needs to make some headway soon to have a future as a as a major league regular, I would say. Uh, I would say stock down for him in dynasty leagues. Not necessarily dropping him. I mean, it depends how deep your dynasty league is. But I'm certainly less excited about him than I was at the start of the year. I think post-trade deadline is going to tell us a lot about Oscar Colas and his dynasty value because the White Sox are going to be sellers, or at least they should be. And there should be nothing in his way of playing time, hitting in the middle of that lineup, and just letting him go and seeing what he could do the rest of the season. And frankly, if he kind of falls flat, I think that's going to say a lot about, you know, Oscar Colas and his ability uh, in the big leagues. But we'll see over the final couple months of the season. Let's wrap up with some leftovers here, and we'll start with the pitching. We've got one good and one not so good. Luis Castillo, a strong start at the Twins. Seven innings, two runs, nine strikeouts with 18 swinging strikes in that start. And Logan Allen, the not so good. He didn't pitch as well as we had hoped up against the Royals. He went seven innings, but he allowed five runs. Four of those were earned. He gave up two home runs as well. Uh, you know, seven hard hits in this game. Seems like something was off with the pitch mix in this one. He kind of faded his changeup. I don't think he just did not have a feel for that pitch whatsoever, and it's one of his better pitches. So, uh, you know, obviously that didn't work out very well here for Logan Allen. Scott, any thoughts here on him and Luis Castillo? I don't see how anything changes in terms of how I approach them in fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I hoped for better against Allen. He did go seven innings, which is nice. But he strikes me as a pretty fringy pitcher, at least at this stage of his career. All right, the hitting leftovers... Christian Yelich went one for three with two walks and his 22nd steal. Also hit a walk-off RBI single in a very important game and series against the Cincinnati Reds. And if it wasn't for a certain gentleman named uh, Ronald Acuna, then we might actually have a, a discussion about Yelich you know, being involved in the NL MVP race, the way that he's played this year. But um, there is no discussion because Ronald Acuna has been otherworldly. Hassan Kim had that double dong, as we mentioned earlier, with three RBI in that game as well. Some bullpen updates here for the Orioles. Felix Bautista and Yanir Cano were both unavailable, so Sionel Perez picked up his first save of the season. For Kansas City, Scott Barlow allowed two hits but picked up his 12th save. For the Twins, Yoan Duran was unavailable, so Griffin Jacks got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He promptly gave up a two-run homer to Colton Wong, took the blown save there. For the Mariners, Andres Munoz got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up one run, took his first blown save. Paul Sewald would enter in the 10th. Uh, he gave up two hits, and the Manfred man scored from second. So uh, Sewald took his first loss of the season. Scott, do you find it weird that they used Andres Munoz in the bottom of the ninth inning with a one-run lead instead of Paul Sewald in this game? That, that struck me as a little weird. 
a little weird. It's not the first time they've done that since Munoz has come off the IL. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out about it, but certainly in the past, Scott Service has not been afraid to mix it up in the ninth inning. So I can't, I can't guarantee that Seawald's that 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 Seawald still has a firm hold on that role. I suspect it still is, but can't guarantee it. By the way, Freddie Freeman would totally be ahead of Christian Yelich in the MVP race too, and yeah. probably Mookie Betts. I, I, yeah. After I said it, I was like, yeah, you know, Corbin Carroll is up there too, obviously. <laughs> he would be top five. I think he would be top five if, okay. we're, uh, if we're just kind of uh, setting it out there. I just, it, it's been an awesome season. So, uh, yeah. you know, want to give a nice little shout out there to Christian Yelich. Texas Rangers, Aroldis Chapman entered in the seventh inning with that three run lead at the time to face the heart of the Astros lineup. He would give up a three run homer to Chaz McCormick. So that was not ideal for Chapman. For the Diamondbacks, more trouble in paradise. Andrew Chafin entered in the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He was charged with five runs. He originally gave up two runs. He was relieved by Kevin Ginkle, who uh, you know had all those inherited runners. He gave up a bases-clearing double to Tyler O'Neill at the time. And I haven't seen any explanation for this, Scott, but Kevin Ginkle had pitched well recently. I think he had the last two saves for the D-backs. Why didn't they start the ninth inning with him in a one-run game instead of Andrew Chafin, who frankly has not pitched well for a while now? So it's just confusing. I don't know. Well, let's look at who the Cardinals had due up. Mm, doesn't look like a bunch of lefties. I, I will say, yeah, yeah, Kevin Ginkle did get the last two saves. He was pretty shaky in that second appearance against the Braves. I watched it, and uh, I think he gave up a run and came pretty close to blowing it. So I don't know that he has – I don't know how much trust he's earned in that role. Um, probably has more than Andrew Chafin at this point, particularly given how this appearance went. But I'm, I'm holding on to Scott McGuff in leagues where saves are scarce. I'll just put it that way. I'm not saying I, I'm not adding Ginkle in those leagues, but I'm not willing to let go of McGuff. I think the answer is, if the D-backs are serious about competing this year, they have to make a trade because it is just not working. They, they need someone with more experience. I don't... Maybe there's just not a name out there. I know Scott Barlow is probably the you know most likely name to be moved, but... I mean, Josh Hader's a free agent after the year, and the possible. Padres are currently below 500. Mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean they'll be sellers. Well, we mentioned David Bednar's name, I and mean, he would be awesome. Yeah, he would, he would require, because he has so many years of team control left, he would require a lot, probably. Yep. But it's possible. For the Blue Jays, that game actually just went final in 11 innings. Jordan Romano, uh, clean 11th inning for his 28th save of the season. To stream or not to stream, Scotty, Tuesday... We have uh, Griffin Canning at the Tigers, Edward Cabrera at the Rays, uh, Kyle Hendricks at the White Sox. I think he's fine. I think I think those are my top three. Canning, Cabrera, Hendricks. I agree. On Wednesday, who do we have here? Uh, Seth Lugo versus the Pirates. I think that's pretty good. I think... Gavin Williams versus the Royals, though 
he is dealing with a blister apparently, so hopefully everything's mm. good there. By far his best start as a major leaguer so far came against the Royals earlier this year. Mm-hmm. But I don't like the blister. Yeah. I think the last name on this list is going to be Michael Lorenzen versus the Angels in a revenge game. Yeah, I don't think I want to stick my neck out for Ben Lively at Milwaukee, though it's it's a little bit tempting. Right. Uh, all right, so again, on Wednesday, we've got, who was it, Lugo, Gavin Williams, and Michael Lorenzen in that order for me. Team name two. Jose Quintana at the Yankees isn't so bad either. Yeah, actually, that's a... That's a very deep-rooted revenge game, Scotty. I think he started in the Yankees farm system way back in the day. Oh. There you go. Nice little uh, fun fact there on Jose Quintana. Team name Tuesday, and these uh, first couple are from Twitter, and this one is from my buddy, Ben Tidd. He's a good player, plays over at the NFBC. We're in the same event league, and I don't know. He said this is a staple from our childhood. I don't know what it is, guy. Maybe you know. Kissing Cade Marlowe. What is that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I tried to search it up. I couldn't find anything, man. Kissing Cade Marlowe. I think he's going to be pretty disappointed in me if he listens this far. Sorry. Yeah. Ben did. Don't know anything about it. This one's from uh, Saves Tuesday. Give me an Ellie. Yeah. Alrighty. That's for my, uh, my wrestling audience out there. Stone Cold. Uh, from Smoke Signal. And he has a Bombi Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Do you know who El Bombi is, Scott? No. I was just trying to play it off. <laughs> that is Adelise Garcia. This one is from John Mack, and he sent in Sister Christian Walker, Texas Ranger. Now, Sister Christian is a song released in the 1980s. And obviously, Walker, Texas Ranger, you know, Chuck Norris, um, I just don't know what the correlation is. It's a bit convoluted. Sister Walker, Sister Christian Walker, Texas Ranger. I don't don't know. Uh, And the next one is to the windows, Taylor Walls. Mm -hmm. He's pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good. From Timmy, Wu Lang Clan ain't nothing to puck with. Wow. (laughs) That is a jumble. We've got four players in there. All right. I've seen, I've seen worse. And you've got to, you got to, you've got <laughs> to ringing endorsement. You got to be really, you got to be really careful with that one too. Uh, back to the emails from Bernard. Enter the Wu Chang McClanahan. Well, we got a lot going on there. Three names as well. You <laughs> uh-huh. Chang, Brian Wu, Shane McClanahan, uh, Bake Burger. <laughs> which I don't note here. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you've are up to date on this. Adam Azer, the latest Azer take on the football oh, podcast. I haven't talked to Adam Azer in like three years. Ah, oh, damn. He left the podcast and that was that. There's some kind of controversy. Burgers. Yeah. He, he bakes his burgers in the oven and he says mm. they're the best burgers he's ever had. So <laughs> I don't know. My wife does that with turkey burgers. Turkey burgers are underrated. That's the word I'll use. I like turkey burgers. Do you like them baked in the oven? Yeah, I usually just throw it in a frying pan, so All right. that's how I make it. Uh, this last one is one Bregman, one Stott, one beer. Okay. Which is from, I don't know, some classic song. One bourbon, one shot, one beer, but whatever. Let's move on. From Tom, <laughs> uh, these three, Maka, wait, Waka Miles in my Schuster. 
<laughs> it's not bad for having that many names in it. If loving Kyle is right, I don't want Colton Wong. Okay. And I don't mind that either. A bird in Brad Hand is worth two in Matt Bush. So he tried to, he tried to stick <laughs> Jason Worth in here in the year 2023 because he spelled Worth W-E-R-T-H. I think that's a Marlin bird spelling as well. B-Y-R-D. Uh, there are... Is there another there, bird with B-Y-R-D? I feel no, like... I thought there was. No, it doesn't look like there is currently. There's a Grayson bird in the Cub system. Yeah. Good, good old Marlin Real Bird. Real throwback here from Tom. I liked Marlin Bird. Yeah, yeah. Solid ball player. From Zach. I'm choking. I need the Heimlich Quan Ober. Is that supposed to be Heimlich Maneuver? I'm choking. I need I the Heimlich Quan Ober. it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's it's yeah. all downhill after Heim. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, this next one. I'm a Lazardo by B, so why don't you kill us me? <laughs> <laughs> and okay. this last one from Zach. A can Yuri in the coal mine? A can Yuri in the coal mine? Jeez. All right. All Let's right, try. Zach. From Isaac in Minneapolis. Homicidal Moniac. <laughs> I like simple ones like that. It's nice and simple. From Trevor. Ellie Ellie Oxen Free. No idea what this yeah. is. I don't even play hide and seek in you. Um, when do you say that? Is it when everybody's back at home base and when everybody's made it back to base and you need to let the person who's it know that? Or is the person who's it say that after they're done counting? I don't remember what context it comes up. It's it's not really my uh you know, that's not how we played hide and seek when we were kids. But I, I have I have heard it before. Yeah. Trevor pointed out it's from playing hide and seek, but uh, I have Never heard that term a single time in my life. From Terry, uh, and he says, "Think Billy Idol." Uh, this is a uh, this is one for Chris Sowers. Uh, when Robert yell, ah, Rebel yell. I think that's what he's going for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Big Billy Idol fan, Scott. Can't say that I am. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap there. Uh, I would say. Let's go with Mixed Bag. That's how I'll describe today's Team Name Tuesday. Uh, For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.